Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Myers & Associates, serving the Midwest with industrial maintenance products and services. Call them at 515-795-3676. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Welcome again, everybody. This is Brian Myers, and Shane Vanderhart is out of pocket today. He's AWOL. He has flown the coop, and he's otherwise not here. So... Is he vacationing this week? <laughs> vacationing in sunny Florida or someplace? Uh, I'm not sure. You'll have to ask him. I will when he gets you, back. You do that. You do that. Well, we've got a special uh, guest host today. We have Joel Curtinitis here. Joel is an opinion columnist for the Des Moines Register. He is a branded contributor to The Blaze and contributing editor at the Liberty Conservative. Good morning, Joel. Hey, good morning, and thanks for having me on, and uh, hopefully we'll have a blast here today. Excited to get some uh, troublemaking done here on Caffeinated Thoughts. Yeah, I have no doubt that you'll be causing all kinds of trouble before this hour is out. I mean, if people didn't pay me for it, I might be less likely to do it, but now that they pay me for it, you know, it's not going to stop. You get nothing here, pal. (laughs) If you you get some free coffee, consider yourself well uh, compensated. You know, I consider this practice, but eventually I want to level up to the Monty Python point, you know, where I can have an argument clinic. And people just walk in, and you, I'd, like to, I'd like to have an argument. No, you don't. <laughs> yes, I do. By the way, we have, we have Ron Carlson, our producer here at the board. Who's that? Well, he's the guy that Shane always says works the magic. Oh, and okay. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> wait, wait. this is magic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, well, enough of that silliness. Today in our first segment, we have a very special guest on the line with us. We have Dr. Lee Heeb. Dr. Heeb is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in spinal surgery. She's past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, which is a free market medical organization. She's also author of the book, Surviving the Medical Meltdown, Your Guide to Living Through the Disaster of Obamacare. Don't you love that title? Understatement of the year, right? (laughs) Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, Lee Heeb. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming back on the show. You're kind of a friend of the show. You've been on the show a, a time or two. You you spoke at the second uh, annual Caffeinated Thoughts briefing. So you keep coming back for more, Dr. Heeb. I don't know what... Uh, like, what... <laughs> like a bad penny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd think by now you'd know better. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, let's, let's get started. Um, and just to ask you a, a question here relative to uh, last week's um, debacle uh, with the GOP's health care bill. Um, and let me play devil's advocate for a moment. The GOP House bill would have allegedly reduced taxes by nearly a trillion dollars. It eliminated the individual mandate. It defund Planned Parenthood. So given the political realities that that we face. Tell us why this wasn't a good thing that, um, or why it was a good thing that it failed. Well, you know, I have to say I'm a little, uh, I mean, I don't know all the machinations. I don't think anybody does of what really goes on in Congress. But the problem is 
when, you know, when I hear politicians say, we want to repeal these Republicans, they say, repeal and replace, I cringe. I, every time I do, I don't care who's going to be in the seat to replace it. The problem is one of the big picture theory here, because the reason Obamacare fails is the reason any government solution fails, is that just like, just like in the Soviet Union, when the Politburo could not figure out six guys or ten guys at the top, bright as they might be, could not figure out how many tractors they needed in order to harvest the crops in the Soviet Union, so people starved. You know, six people at the top cannot figure this out. And the gang of 435 or 535 or however many people they want to put in this, however many Republicans get together and decide what they're going to do, are not smarter than all the doctors and hospitals and clinics around the country taking care of patients. And that is the basic philosophic problem here. So, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly why it failed, but I can tell you that even if it had passed it, it would have failed if it tries to micromanage the practice of medicine. And that's, you know, there's a simpler, I mean, there's a simple, I think there's a simple solution. I, I contribute to WorldNet Daily. I wrote this article. I said, a four-step plan for unwinding this. Well, of course, they didn't listen to me then. I said, okay, okay, you didn't get that. Let's go a one-step plan. Just repeal the darn thing. Yeah, I've I got that article in front of me, Lee, and, and uh, your, your step one is repeal Obamacare. Step two, <laughs> it says there is no step two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, and let me just say this, that whether you repeal it or not, here's the other nasty truth. And this is what I tell Medicare patients, because remember, Obamacare is just Medicare on steroids. I mean, the, the, the fact of the matter is this whole system is economically unsustainable. So whether they get rid of it, if they don't get rid of it, it will fail of its own economic, ponderous, you know, malfeasance. And what's going to happen is giving people a card that says you have Medicare or you have Medicaid or you have Obamacare is not giving them medical care. It's giving them a card. And when it doesn't support the system that actually produces medical care, it doesn't matter what you have in your pocket. Do you know what I mean? And and that's that's the other thing these guys don't get. Now, why? So, so the real point, I mean... The, the, the real two questions to ask here is, why is it so expensive to, to practice medicine? Why is medical care so expensive, and is there value in that expense? And the second point is, is that what do we really practically do right now to turn this around? And let me just say one thing about the second point, and then we can talk about whatever you want to, but the, the first thing that needs to be done that would make a huge difference, and isn't that difficult, in my opinion, is just get out of the practice of outpatient medicine. You know, the underlying ethic here, theory here, is that the world didn't exist. Medical care didn't exist before government, but that's not true. Before 1964, we built the finest medical care system, medical care in the world, because we didn't have a government system. No government involved. We did it ourselves. Doctors and patients, hospitals, we did it ourselves. Communities, everybody chipped in. Well, we can do that again, but the first step is get out of outpatient care. Because that is where this is whole going, that's where this whole thing went wrong. You know, when you try and think about your house insurance, if it tried to pay for every little nickel and dime item, mm-hmm. you know, when your sink plugs up. I mean, yep. really? That's the I think you made a, an interesting remark, and I can't remember if I read this in your book or if I read it in, in one of these articles that you had at, at WorldNet Daily, but you made the comment that... that uh, you knew of a patient that had taken an ambulance uh, yeah. to the hospital 
not because she was deathly ill, but because she didn't have a car and couldn't afford cab fare. Yeah, it was cheaper than cab fare. Yeah, and that was in my book. Thanks for reading my book. But, you know, that's exactly the problem when you have a government charity system. And um, so, honestly, when you take away, I, I I had an outpatient clinic. I ran a solo private practice for, you know, almost two decades. And I had seven employees. Now, if government and insurance were out of the outpatient market, I could have done the same thing with two employees. And that shows you, and that's a lot of cost. Anybody that runs a business, you know, your employees are a big cost. And also the space of involved in paperwork to bill a third party. And, and here's a concrete example. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and let's say you come in and you have shoulder pain and you want your shoulder injected. Now, the cost of the medication for that injection probably, you know, plus the injectables and the syringes, on I'm going to guess 20 bucks. I've looked it up. It's roughly that, $20, okay? So what would I need to do to actually make money? Certainly, I'd make money at 100 bucks, but I can't charge that because to bill your third party, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, or an insurance policy, on average, is $65. Mm-hmm. So now we've got the cost of the underlying problem. Uh, we've got it up to $90 before I make a dime, before I pay my lights, my staff, or anything else. So that's what drives the cost. That's one of the huge things driving outpatient costs up. Let's get rid of that. Well, let me just jump in here and, and, and make another point relative to what you just said. Several years ago, I was going to have a procedure done that wasn't covered under uh, the insurance that I had at the time. And uh, so because I was going to pay for it out of pocket, I I asked the business manager at the clinic what this was going to cost. And when she found out that I was going to pay for it myself, she reduced the price by 50%. <laughs> right. right. I was like, I okay. Do that all the time. I do that, and I would do that all the time for these farmers that had these $10,000 deductibles down in Arizona. I, you know, they, they had money, and they just had $10,000 deductible, and we just pay cash. Now, here's another point of that. Ironically, you know, the government that talks, to, you know, wants to make you think that they're really interested in taking care of the poor, if a poor person comes into your clinic, though, and is going to pay cash, you cannot charge less. You can't just give them the care for free. That's illegal because that's discriminating against Medicare patients. So the minimum they could charge you for that visit you had was Medicare rates. Wow. You know, and Medicare rates are not great because of the paperwork involved now. But if you got rid of all that paperwork, Medicare would be okay. So, you know, it's, it's, we've created expense without value. You're not getting anything for all that money you're spending. It all goes to the to the paperwork. A friend of mine runs an MRI center. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Lee, this is going to, the time's going to fly by, so I, I just wanted to, to yeah. uh, get in a little bit under the, uh, into the four steps that you outlined in your Febru- February article. Um, oh, okay. As far as unwinding the medical mess, you had, number one, eliminate all government regulation on the sale of health insurance. Do not mandate coverage. Do not limit sale across state borders, which I have to say I was shocked when they didn't have that in, in this new bill. Because the, yeah, been, the GOP's been talking about this for decades, of allowing uh, uh, health insurance companies to be able to sell across state lines, and it wasn't in there. And I was like, are you kidding me? Okay, sure, but they talk about a lot of things for years at a time, and then it never comes to well, pass that's why when, I'm they, a when they're in office. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're singing Joel's tune over here. <laughs> 
No, yeah, I, that's why I'm a libertarian because they talk about a lot of things. As as we as Larry Sharp, who's hopefully going to be our next presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, said at a meeting the other day at our state meeting, he said, you know, the Democrats are honest about who they are. They love big government. They're okay saying they're communists. It's the Republicans <laughs> that claim that, that that claim they're for small government, but then lie about it. You know. Again, why was that not in the bill? So that's why I say I can't understand the machinations of what they do. But you're exactly right. There was a simple, I mean, that should be a regulatory issue. That should be not that hard to, there's no, there's no, as far as I know, there's no big tax law or anything involved in that. Just open up the sale across state lines. That's easy. Mm -hmm. That should be easy. Yeah, a lot of, and the other, go ahead. The other big problem, the other big problem with regulating insurance is, I mean, and I have to say, why do we have all this bureaucracy to oversee insurance? But the, but, the, but the real issue is we're not really selling insurance when we're talking about health care anymore. We're selling prepaid health care, and that never works. That's like, that's like selling you house insurance when your house is on fire. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. And so we've got to get real insurance. But the way you do that is be competitive. And when you mandate that an insurance company has to buy, has to cover pregnancy and all its clients, even though most of the clients are 60 plus years old, that's not right. And that's, that's the kind of thing that costs money and not value. doesn't give you value. Yeah, there, so there was a, there was a lot of there were a lot of things in there that that I picked up on one of the one of them you mentioned earlier about having the uh, the card in your pocket doesn't necessarily equal care either. There's a lot of terminology blending that goes on when when you hear liberals start talking about access to health care. They don't mean access as in I'm not allowed to go get it. They mean they somebody mean else is going to pay else for it. is going to pay yep. for it. It's the same thing with you know uh, the whole Planned Parenthood debate goes into this as well. And and I just I get really tired of the deliberate confusion of terms where they're saying we don't have access. To, well, no, you do have access. You have access. You just don't get it for free, which is what you want. And I I definitely want to pivot over to the Libertarian Party side of things before the end of this. But but I did want to ask you also, Doctor Heeb. Um, so I, I I read your article and I also watched uh, you know Paul Ryan's uh, rollout presentation of of the you know, Obamacare lighter or whatever you'd like to call it. I know one of the concerns that Republicans claim to have, I don't, you know, I don't want to say this is their main one, but one of the things that they worry about um, obsessively, if you listen to them address the media, is how many people are going to be hurt in the transition. So if you did go, and this is a common thing, you know, those of us that are more libertarian-minded here is, okay, but how many people are going to die in the streets transitioning from one to the other? So I guess, it, you know, taking this Obamacare repeal approach, Paul Ryan was talking about it being phased in so that it wouldn't, you know, drop a million people off of health care tomorrow. How would you respond to that concern about, you know, transitioning and how many people are going to be impacted by it? Well, first of all, it depends. You know, there's transition. Transition depends on how you do it. If you first said all insurance companies and the government get out of outpatient care, the prices would drop immediately. So I don't know how that's going to hurt anybody. You know, the, the, the second thing is, the thing that happened overnight, when you worry about transition this direction, nobody worried about transition the other direction when we went into Obamacare. And I can tell you, you know, how did this help? My, my, I know this because my, I have two sons in their 20s, healthy young guys, no medical problems. Their insurance went from $64 a month to $160-some dollars a month. Now, that's a transition jump that hurt a lot of young people. And transitioning the other way, the other aspect of this is, do you believe the free market will not rise to the occasion and won't affordably offer those guys insurance? See, what, what Obamacare did, actually, is make the people that are in their 20s and 30s that are healthy 
it raised their insurance premiums quite a bit. So then they couldn't afford it. They had to go on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. If, if they get out of it overnight, you know, Medicaid doesn't buy you health care. It just gives you a card in your pocket. If you overnight got out of that, the, best, the, the worst scenario is they'd have to go shop around. And in the process of shopping around, we'd have a competitive market and somebody would sell them a product. And I don't see the downside there. Now, there are, I don't care what system you pick. You know, British Columbia, believe it or not, 15% of people are currently without health care. And you say, how can that be? It's Canada. Well, it's because they live under a bridge. <laughs> Lee, I knew we were going to run out of time. Oh, uh, <laughs> Dr. Lee Heeb, thanks, thanks a lot for, <laughs> for coming on Caffeinated Thoughts Radio with us again. We sure appreciate it. Hi, this is Brian Myers of Myers & Associates. If you're involved in maintenance at a manufacturing plant, you know how costly it can be when a machine goes down. And if the reason that machine went down is because the electronic controls on it failed, it can really be problematic if those electronics are obsolete. Well, not to worry. We represent Providence Industrial Electronics Repair, and they can get your machine up and running in no time. They repair boards, drives, servo motors, light curtains, you name it. So if you need industrial electronics repaired at your plant, or if you have other industrial maintenance needs, give me a call at 515-490-2640. That's Myers & Associates, 515-490-2640. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio with Brian Myers and Joel Curtinitis sitting in for Shane Vanderhart. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Travis Rizvold of Modern Woodman of America. Call Travis at 515-883-0029. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Well, in our second segment today, we have another special guest on our VIP line. We have with us Pete Clint. Pete is the former leader of the 1960s Blue-Eyed Soul Band, the Pete Clint Quintet, and he's now Director of Operations at Get and Go Convenience Stores, Inc. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, Pete. Thank you, Brian and Joe. Well, listen, Pete, I've got a lot of ground I want to cover with you today. Uh, we've got a 15-minute segment here. Uh, I want to spend a, a little time talking about the good old days when you were a, a rock star. <laughs> if I can call you that, and then we'll move into uh, into some other things. Um, let me read a, a quote here. This is from the Pipestone County Star Online. The Pipestone County, I take that to mean Pipestone, Minnesota. The guy's yeah. name is, is Tom Turville, and he wrote this. He said, if I were to think back to the years of 1965 through 1968, I'm comfortable in saying there was no more successful and popular band in the state of Iowa than Mason City, Iowa's Pete Clint Quintet. 
Pete Clint, let's try that again. <laughs> the Pete Clint story is one of Iowa's most fascinating rock and roll stories of the 60s. What was that, Ron? Whoops. <laughs> I was just enamored with listening to you, and I forgot that, you know, I had something set up, and I should have not had that set up. I think our producer had a, had a whoops moment there, but. Oh, well. Okay. Well, I recognize the song. Yeah, I think maybe you've heard that once or yeah, twice. Yeah, wasn't that Inagata De Vita? <laughs> yeah, Inagata De Vita, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Pete, that, that, was, uh, that was an interesting quote uh, from Tom Turville. It, it gives us an idea of just how popular the group was back in those days. Well, I remember Tom, and, and uh, I don't recall that, that quote particularly, but... Uh, we sure had a great time and uh, and uh, seemed to be popular with, you know, the folks around Iowa. So now if I understood this correctly, you guys, some of the guys were still in high school maybe, but you guys actually put the band together so that you could, you could uh, uh, participate in the Battle of the Bands. Is that right? Right. Uh, there was uh, an annual Battle of the Bands at the Roof Garden in the, at the Storm Lake or near there. And uh, it was a really big deal. <clears throat> and so, um, actually, there were uh, oh, two or three different Battle of the Bands going in, at that time. Uh, it was such a popular thing. But the big one uh, was that storm lake at the, the uh, Roof Garden. So, this is 1965? Is the first time you were there? Yes. And who won? Who won well, the Battle we, of the Bands? Well, we, we were fortunate enough to win that one. And you had just put the band together. Yeah, it had been, <clears throat> oh, I guess, during the first first year that, that we had played. Now, see, that's that's something. I, I'm I'm a little bit younger here. I'm, I'm a millennial, and so just, I was raised in the age a of... Little, <laughs> just a little bit I, younger than that. <laughs> I'm raised in the age of Rihanna here. But, you know, that's that's one of the things that I look at the, the music now that's coming out, if we can call it music... That's that's part of the the element that's missing from this. I mean, if you you know do a song and dance on the voice and you get famous and popular, it's not. I, I feel like that doesn't have the effort that was involved in a lot of this. You know, and I feel like that's an element that's missing in the complexity of the music too. When I listen to it, well, I tell you what, it, it, maybe it's one of those deals that you had to be there. But the the <laughs> mid to late '60s, the development of of rock and roll during that period of time was. Pretty fascinating. I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron, Pete, and I can say, uh, you know, with, with some authority that uh, that, it, that it was a it was a great time in that regard. So, you guys win the battle of the bands, and then you guys cut a record at IGL Studios in in Milford, Iowa, and that particular record got locally a fair amount of airplay. Is that correct, Pete? Yes, it did. Uh, we had a radio station in. Mason City that played, uh, you know, the top 40 rock and roll music. And, and uh, so they really uh, were very supportive, and that, that helped us tremendously. And then you guys got a manager, and he wanted to have you go to Chess Records in Chicago to record another song, correct? That's right. And, that was, and that's where you guys recorded Walking Proud. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Chess Studio was a very famous studio. A lot of blues players uh, played there or recorded there. <clears throat> and, and they made it so popular that other genres of music as well. But uh, uh, 
Uh, it was quite a, an, an amazing time for us to be in the same studio that so many greats, Chuck Berry and, oh gosh, just so many of the famous people had recorded in. Yeah, let's listen to a little bit of Walking Proud. This is the Pete Clint Quintet. That bring back some memories, Pete. It certainly does. <laughs> I'll say it does. It's been many years now, but uh, it certainly does bring back some great memories. So things really took off at that point. That that particular record was number one at KIOA for 17 weeks. That's so cool. <laughs> 17 that was, weeks. That's quite a run. And it also made the Billboard Top 100. That's right, and that was the... Uh, that was a very big deal back back then. Uh, Billboard, I don't know that that uh, that watched as much as it was back then, but uh, that was quite a thrill. And and it was, uh, I believe, if I've got the if, if my memory is serving me here, it was also in the top ten in the Minneapolis market for like you know a couple of months or something. Correct. That's correct. I mean, you were getting you were getting a lot of airplay. It wasn't all coming at once, unfortunately, but you were getting a lot of airplay around the country, including in Southern California. Yes, the various uh, places where it would hit, um, <clears throat> it usually climbed right up the charts. It's just that without really great distribution, uh, that was kind of hard to come by back then if you were a, a small group just getting started. But it it, it, uh, it would just kind of hit around different pockets of the country and do well, but by not having it condensed into one time frame, say over a two-month, three-month period or something, it was hard to climb up on the billboard charts. Uh, so that was kind of how that uh, went down at that time. Well, then you guys ended up touring with a with a number of, of uh, big-name national groups, and, and uh, for me anyway, the, the one that really... Uh, stuck out was in September, I think, of 1967. You guys actually warmed up for the Doors, Jim Morrison and the Doors. Wow! At the old KRNT Theater, and that had, to be, that had to be quite an experience. It really was, and, and what a beautiful theater that was! It was just so ideal for musical concerts. It was, it was also just beautifully uh, constructed, uh, and so it was kind of a landmark. And uh, that was a really big thrill for us back then. I'm sure it was, and I, I, I guess uh, I have to ask, what were the guys in the band like, the Doors? Well, they were they were friendly, uh, a little bit aloof, but uh, now Jim Morrison, he was he was uh, real isolated and private, and so uh, we didn't even get a hello from him. He was kind of off doing his own thing. But uh, yeah, he just kind of stuck to himself, and, and uh, during the rehearsal, he just came out for the rehearsal and went back into the... Uh, into the room again where they you know provide for people the dressing room and uh, the same way at the concert uh, but the other guys uh, the drummer and the keyboard player they were real friendly and I think you did a week with uh, Stevie Wonder correct we did uh, that was at Lake Geneva uh, in Wisconsin uh, and uh, that was just a blast uh, because he drew such huge crowds 
and uh, and he was very nice. He had a manager that pretty much led him up on stage and off stage and everywhere he went since he's blind, and uh, they were both just very kind. Well, eventually, I guess things kind of slowed down for the band. I'm, I'm thinking maybe early 1970s, 1970, 1971, and eventually the 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 band broke up. And uh, so what happened to Pete Clint? Well, at that time, uh, I was uh, living in Des Moines. I had moved to Des Moines, and uh, um, the music scene was changing uh Rapidly, people were getting home stereos, and believe it or not, that made a huge difference. Uh, a lot of people, it, it really cut the attendance at ballrooms. And so uh, uh, we used to call those clean gigs. In other words, they, you know, colleges, ballrooms, proms, things like that. Uh, that's what we always played. And, and then about uh, the only place left to play were like the bar scene. And, and I didn't really particularly want to do that. So uh, that was about the time I decided to hang it up and uh, <laughs> retired without pay. <laughs> <laughs> there was no retirement for, for being a, a rock and roller, huh? That's right. <laughs> nobody, well, set so, up a, nobody set up a 401k for you. That's for sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> Well, see, I had an idea on that, though. That's that's where I'm coming at. Let's say that's why I said before you before you came on, I was trying to pitch Brian on the idea that you need to come back and do a collaboration. Now, this, this seems to be a big thing. So I was thinking maybe you could hit up Jay Z, see if he wants to get together sometime, and you know, make some money on it. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea to me, Pete. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, you never know. But well, uh, from that, go ahead. Uh, well, from that point then, uh, I went into the business world and uh, uh, worked for a year at Des Moines Music, so I got to see all of my musician friends who were doing the same thing. They were kind of unwinding, and some were still playing uh, in clubs and things like that, But uh, uh, so it was kind of a, a nice opportunity to uh, see all those people, uh, because when you're playing, of course, you, you rarely see them unless you're doing a gig with right. them, but uh, got to know a lot of musicians, and and so uh, that was a fun experience. And then from there, I went back into uh, the construction business. My father had been a carpenter, and so I knew something about that. So I went into that and uh, did that for a few years. And then that led into uh, uh, my current job at Get and Go Convenience Stores uh, as Director of Operations. And uh, a big part of that job is overseeing construction, okay. building new stores and things like that. Well, let me back you up in the narrative just a little bit, because we're going to run out of time before you know it. But something happened in April of 1973, if, if I remember right, Pete. You're, you're working at Des Moines Music House, and you're, to use your words, you were heartbroken. And, uh, yep. you know, you're, the, uh, the band was done, and uh, you kind of maybe lost a sense of direction in your life. Exactly. Uh, yes, that's true. And so one Easter Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, uh, my wife Susie and I, we were getting ready to visit her folks, and uh, it was Easter Sunday. And so she said, "You know, we really, uh, we really need to go to church before we go, so at least we can say we went because we weren't churchgoers or anything like that." And so we ended up going to. Uh, I just I didn't know where to go, so I said, "Well, get the phone book out," and I just put my finger down, and it happened to be. 
a little church, Grace Baptist Church on Southwest 9th in Des Moines. We went and we heard the, for the first time the message of uh, Jesus Christ. And and, uh, and so we, uh, God had been preparing our hearts for that, unbeknownst to us, but uh, my mother had just passed away recently. And so uh, when they gave the invitation to go forward and accept Jesus Christ uh, into our hearts and in our lives, uh, we did. Uh, to my surprise, she was right behind me. I didn't know she was following, but uh, what a huge change that made in both our lives. And uh, that's been about, uh, well, let's see, that was in 1973, so I guess doing the math, what, about 44, 54 years ago. So, uh, that's a day or two. Yeah, that's a day or two. But uh, Pete, uh, can, can you stay with us through the break? Sure can. Okay, this is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, folks. We're talking with Pete Clint of the Pete Clint Quintet. And we'll be back here in a few moments and uh, hear a little bit more about Pete's story. Hi, this is Brian Myers. When I needed a better life insurance plan, I found it with Travis Rizvold of Modern Woodman of America. When I first met Travis, he wasn't like some other life insurance agents that can be pushy and try to get you to buy something. Travis just made himself available to me. That was it. He told me to let him know if and when I needed anything, and he stayed in touch. When the day came and I did need to make some changes with my life insurance, Travis met with me and walked me through several options so I could make an informed decision. Ultimately, it was the best decision for my situation. So if you need a better or the best life insurance plan for you... Call my friend Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. His number is 515-883-0029. Travis Rizvold with Modern Woodman. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Call him at 515-883-0029. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. And welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Crosswalk Ministries and Scott Owen, offering biblical counseling and conciliation. Give them a call at 515-292-7141. Or check them out at www.crosswalkcounseling.org. This is Brian Myers with Joel Curtinitis sitting in for Shane Vanderhart. And we still have on the line with us Pete Clint. Uh, we've been talking with Pete about uh, his story uh, going back to his days when he was uh, the leader of the Pete Clint Quintet. And they had a number one hit single. And uh, he's moved on now in, in, in the narrative to after... Uh, after the after the lights had been shut down, you might say, and and uh, he's working at Des Moines Music House, and he's just not quite sure uh, where his life is going. And then he one Easter Sunday, he and his wife go to church. Have I got the story so far, Pete? That's correct, Brian. Okay, take us take us from there. You guys you guys go to this church, having having found it by putting your finger in the yellow pages. <laughs> <laughs> of the phone book to make your selection correct. Yeah, who would have thought it would have changed our lives so dramatically? But uh, 
Uh, we went there and uh, heard the gospel for the first time, and uh, she had been raised Catholic, and her folks were, and still are, uh, staunch Catholics, and so that was one of the reasons she felt the urge to, you know, for us to go to church anyway. Uh, and uh, I was still a hippie. I had long hair, and, and so we go into this little church of mostly older folks, and uh, uh, at the time, they were pretty shocked. Uh, to see a couple come in looking like us, and uh, <laughs> but uh, we found out later that the first thing they did was started praying for us, and uh, just some very dear, sweet people, uh, and uh, they brought us along once we, you know, found uh, the Lord and, and started walking with God and uh, learning. Uh, they they just were marvelous, and uh, that that was the beginning, and so. Uh, well, Pete you, Pete, you mentioned your wife uh, grew up uh, Catholic. Were you raised in a, in a Christian home, or did you have any exposure to the gospel uh, in, in your previous uh, life? I actually was brought up uh, in a Lutheran church, and uh, the one thing that was missing in that particular, uh, they call it different synods, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a born-again uh, believing type of faith. It was more of just religion, and so... Uh, my mom was very religious, bless her heart, and uh, she later found Jesus. But uh, I was brought up going through the Sunday school and and then through confirmation. And when I became a teenager, why I left that. But I did have some knowledge uh, about you know the Bible and about God because of that. And so when she passed away at a very young age, uh, just during this time when Susie and I found Jesus, why. Uh, he was working on us through that, and we found out later uh, that she had uh, found Jesus as well. And I don't know, you know, sometimes you wonder, but I think she probably knew Jesus all her life because she was very, very dedicated and uh, just a very virtuous woman. I'm very blessed to have a mom like that. Very positive influence on you. Yep. Now, I take it, it, Pete, that that lost— sense of direction that you were experiencing you, you, that that had had uh, uh, had sort of faded away as as you became a, a Christian and and uh, came to know Christ absolutely you know when, when I first came off the band scene uh, I thought oh my gosh how could I ever do a straight gig you know which was what we used to call <laughs> straight, it <laughs> for, for getting a job <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you know uh, Wondered, but if once uh, once Christ came into our life, uh, it altered because of, obviously He sets a path out uh, if we are willing to follow, and uh, and then so He led me back to the music store where I got to basically share Christ with every musician I had ever known. And That's that fantastic! Just, uh, so cool. Yeah, that was an amazing experience uh, that lasted about a year and a half, and then I went back into the, the, I went into the construction business since that was something I knew something about, and uh, I just kind of worked my way up through the uh, through the chain, and uh, uh, and then met the owner of Get and Go Stores when uh, we built some uh, office space for him. And uh, a year or two later, I was still doing construction. He called and said, uh, "I'd like to have you come to work. Uh, I have I want to build some stores and 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 grow. And uh, I think someone that can handle you know a general contractor type position, which I was sort of doing at that time anyway for." the company I was working for. So it was a nice transition, and uh, that was 34 years ago. Wow. Wow. 
Well, Pete, that's a great story. Thanks for coming on the radio with us and sharing it with us. Um, I, I think it's a, a tremendous testimony how, you know, the, the in the providence of God, a lot of things can happen to make a, uh, you know, a, a tremendous and vital change in, in the lives of people. So You're absolutely right, and thank you for your interest. I really appreciate it, Brian. All right, Pete. You take care. Good to have you on the show. God bless. You know, that's one of the things that I I think about all the time is that it, we, we often, when people talk about religion, they talk about, you know, it's for the it's for the poor, it's for the servants, it's for the, the people that are at the bottom and they don't have anything else to latch on to. But I'm always, I'm always so intrigued and so impressed by people who have been successful and have experienced, you know, with the, with the buzz all around them and the popularity and all of these things, when they reach that point that they feel right. their life is, is hopeless as well. And they, they finally are at the point where they can see Christ and they can grab a hold of that. Yeah. And another example, I always think it was Tom Brady, who has everything in this world that somebody could possibly want from a materialistic perspective. But he got on that, that, you know, that famous interview and there's got to be more than this. I just, just won my third Super Bowl or whatever, and there's got to be more than this because there's, this is empty. And and that's you know the Solomon complex that people mm-hmm. develop. That's so intriguing to me, and it sounds like you know the the grace of God just reached down to to Pete in that situation. Well, it really did. Out. It really did. Um, uh, when I spoke to to him last about that period period in his life, you know, he, he mentioned he was. I mean, he was really low, lower than what he you know uh, you know was able to talk about here on the radio. But anyway, um, great guy, tremendous story. All right, well, let's finish up the the uh, third segment here, getting back into the news a little bit. Since we've got Joel Curtinitis, we got it. I mean, we have to have if this guy's going to be on the air with us, we have to be able to utilize his brain. So, <laughs> oh dear, y'all are asking for trouble now. <laughs> All right, first up in this news segment, Trump's executive order on climate change. This is from the New York Times. President. Trump, flanked by company executives and miners, signed a long-promised executive order on Tuesday to nullify President Barack Obama's climate change efforts and revive the coal industry, effectively ceding American leadership in the international campaign to curb the dangerous heating of the planet. Let me repeat that. Dangerous Dangerous. heating of the planet. Did I say dangerous? Dangerous Dangerous. heating of the planet. Objective news there. What do you think about that, Joel? Well, I I could go off on this forever, and we don't have time for me to go off on it forever. But, you know, first of all, I'm not crazy about the fact that he's doing it by executive order. I I get tired of the executive orders. I want to see Congress do something. And if Congress doesn't do something, they're going to become irrelevant. And they're they're pretty close already. I mean, Obama proved that. They're pretty close to irrelevance, but we we can't have that for this republic to continue to function. So, but on specifically climate change, I'm I'm I'm, gl- I'm good to see the energy industry picking back up. That's important. I I'm not convinced uh, yet. I, I think there's some conflicting evidence on climate change that needs to be resolved. Right? I mean, you got a lot of it over here that they're taking from land-based measurements to say, oh look, it's it's warming up and we're heating up. You have satellite data that conflicts with that. So we need to resolve that. I'm open to the possibility. But I remain to be convinced of it. The other part of nobody that I know of has talked about yet is I've seen a lot of information pointing to the fact that climate change, if it is real and is happening, could actually be a good thing. There, you actually could have a net land gain, usable land. You've got you know, Sahara Desert is shrinking now for the first time in recorded history that I'm aware of because they claim it's climate change. I'm thinking, well, okay, so we have less desert and less tundra, and this is bad. There are, there are a few people out there that are actually pointing that out, that the, that the increase in CO2 is actually a good thing that, that, and that the increase in, in temperature may end up being a good thing as well. 
This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll be back with segment four, and we'll get into some more news. And, of course, your favorite portion of the show, the top Trump tweet of the week. That person brings out the worst in me. I never act like this with anyone else. Sound familiar? I'm Scott Owen with Crosswalk Ministries of Central Iowa, and it's time to pause for peace. Many want to know how some people know how to push their buttons. But the more helpful questions to answer are, who gave them access to their buttons? And what makes those buttons work? Too often we fail to look at ourselves when someone provokes a response from us that we do not like. We are fixated on blaming them for being good at bringing out the bad in us. But where does that bad come from? The Bible says that it is our sinful desires that keep conflict going. Could it be that the button pusher might actually help you see what is really on the inside? If someone's pushing your buttons, why don't you take the time to stop by our counseling center here in Ames or visit our website at crosswalkcounseling.org. That's crosswalkcounseling.org. Hey, do you want to take advantage of the marketing potential within social media for your company or organization, but you're not sure how? Let Shane help. His company, 415 Communications LLC, is a social media consulting firm that works with groups like yours. Go to 415communications.com or give Shane a call at 515-321-5077. I'll do it again, Shane. Easy for you to say. 515-321-5077. Work with groups like yours within reason, right? You know, if you're, if you're one of these alt-right neo-Nazi guys, it, you know, social media might not be, <laughs> maybe not in the social media. Of the country. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for our new feature on Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. This is everybody's favorite, right? Due to the incredible sheer volume of material we have available because the leader of the free world loves Twitter, today we are once again ending our show with this new feature. So, without further delay, drum roll please. <laughs> what was that, Ron? The glass is a nice touch. <laughs> what can I say? He does this to me every week. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. May I present to you the top Trump Tweet of the Week! Listen to him roar, folks. It's it's beautiful, I tell you. Believe me, this is the... I have the best tweets. Are they excited or what? They're a what? (laughs) Or what? That's what they are. (laughs) Okay, as usual... The Trumpster had a lot to say on Twitter this week. It was very difficult to narrow it down. I actually just narrowed it down to two. But this was a heavy news week anyway, which meant that his Twitter was on fire. But this is from March 27th. The first one was at 6.41 p.m., the first one that we are using in today's segment. The Republican House Freedom Caucus was able to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory after so many bad years they were ready for a win. That was at 641. Mm. At 703, he tweeted this. 
The Democrats will make a deal with me on health care as soon as Obamacare folds. Not long. Do not worry. We are in very good shape. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is from The Hill. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer said Monday that Trump is sincere about working with Democrats on health care reform. Starting Friday afternoon through late yesterday, Trump has received a number of calls as well as other members of the senior staff that have been working on health care from members of both sides, saying that they would like to work together, offer up ideas, and have suggestions about how to come to a resolution on this and get a House vote on this. Spicer criticized Democrats for avoiding the health care negotiating table before the stunning collapse of the GOP's repeal and replace effort last week. Well, isn't that special? What do you think about that, Joel? Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I, my, my main question after, after Trump won the election was, okay, now how long before the Democrats figure out he's one of them? Like, and, and that, that's, we've about reached that point now. You know, it's, it's, we've got the president going after the House Freedom Caucus, which in my opinion is basically the only Republicans in, in Congress that actually know what it means to be a Republican anymore. And, and he's, he's joining with the Democrats just like he advertised he was going to do throughout the whole campaign. And somehow his people are shocked. Mm-hmm. Why are they shocked? He said, I mean, throughout the campaign, he said, well, we're going to make sure everybody's covered. We're, we're going to make sure everybody's covered. It's going to be the best. It's going to be the best. I can, I can make a deal. Don't worry about it. We're going to repeal every part of this terrible law. It, it's just he, he, he doesn't have any idea what conservative values are, and that's mm-hmm. being manifested right now. And, and who knows what's coming after this? I mean, the reports are that uh, Ivanka is, is getting more influential in the White House, so we can expect equal work, equal pay, you know, paid, uh, paid leave, maternity leave, uh, mandatory, and, and all that mess, all the Bernie Sanders mess that she's bringing with her. We can expect that to come too, right? I mean, it was only a matter of time until they figured out whose side Trump was on, and he's going to lean that way for a while. Don't you love it? Yes. Another day in paradise. Well, hey, Joel, it's been great to have you on the show with me today. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. It was a blast. Try try to get you back in again. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll see you next week, folks.